Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Trash or Treasure, your next romantic read with me, Kim. And me, Amy. Um, we are so very glad that you have downloaded this podcast. I speak for both of us when I say the mere fact that you want to listen to this podcast means we should be friends. Amy and I adore, adore romance novels. Oh, we do. We have spent so many hours of our lives reading romance novels. And many subsequent hours discussing and debating the finer points of the novels yeah. we have read. And we have a pretty broad range of romance novels that we read. I feel like we've read a lot of different kinds of romance novels. We have. We've spent a lot of time in the Regency world, but we've spent yes. some time in the contemporary world. We've forayed into Mills and Boone. We've journeyed op shop $2 racks and newsagent sales bins. Some paranormal oh, yes. romance. We've, we've forayed. Uh, not, we've never gone into erotica, but we have journeyed into romantica. Which is similar. It all depends on how you define it. <laughs> I didn't finish my romantica book, if I'm honest. <laughs> I guess what we found was that we were looking for we were looking for suggestions about what to read next because you do tend to follow authors and then you jump from that author perhaps to another author who's similar and so we thought to ourselves if only there were a podcast that gave you a recommendation an informed recommendation on what to read next and it has to be a spoiler free i'm told well because when i did the market research for this mostly because i was looking for this podcast when <laughs> it's only been created because i couldn't find it mm. And when I went looking for it, I found that by the time I had listened to people discussing different books, I felt like I didn't need to read that book anymore because it had been discussed in such great depth and detail. Yes, and like intellectual or intellectual? Intellectual. Mm. Mm. Intellectual or academic or feminist analyses or yes. deep deconstruction. So that's not what this is going to be. Kimberly's best efforts are going to ensure that that's not what this is going to be. Um, Amy would love it to be that. <laughs> <laughs> I just get a bit sidetracked. You do. That's okay. It's endearing. So that's kind of the goal here is we will give you uh, – we're going to talk about some of our favourite romance novels and we kind of in our head and whenever we've talked about them in the past, we have tended to categorise things into two piles, trash or treasure. Now, it's problematic and I rebel against it sometimes, but – Ultimately, all we're saying is those books that you read over and over and over and over again and you keep them on your shelf forever and they get almost passed down between people, those books are treasures. Mm. They, there are some romance novels that we have read that are just so beautifully constructed. And they transport you somewhere. They and you do. want to reread them and they're well thumbed and we each have a copy and we also have an electronic copy. And we recommend them left, right and centre. And then there are other books that... Fill a moment in time. Yes. And are usually quite amusing. And quick. are very quick to read. And Not we don't quick. really need to read them ever again. No. But you've enjoyed the time you've spent with it. You didn't have to think too much. They've distracted you. And those are the books that we call endearingly trash. Mostly because they are disposable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's an affectionate term. And so that's what gave birth to the name of the podcast. It's also, though, and potentially more so even, recommending your next read. So with that in mind, we are going to be quite ambitious on our first ever episode and discuss The Duke and I by Julia Quinn. It is the first book in the Bridgerton series, which is coming to Netflix sometime in 2020, though given the COVID crisis, potentially 2021, 2022, it is, uh, it has begun filming apparently. So, um, timely, timely. 
we are going to discuss very briefly the Bridgerton series as a series by Julia Quinn. But I suppose to begin with, obviously, the first, you have, you don't have to, but I would recommend you read them in order. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think you need to. And so basically as a summary of the series, Julia Quinn, who writes Regency romance. So these are books that are set within the early years of the 1800s. So they're set between like the Napoleonic Wars, 1800s, 1820s, essentially. Pride and Prejudice era. Yes. And coming with all of the kind of um, societal rules about propriety and behaviour. And when marriage was a very political and very... Um, so, like a, almost a socially political thing to do. You could really? climb the social ladder. It was about connections between families. Very much so for women. Thing. Absolutely, for yeah. women. Well, for men as well. But it was like it was through marriage to women that you did that. And so in this context, Julia Quinn sets her story about a family called the Bridgertons who are not the highest of the high. They're not a family of... They're not a ducal family or anything like that. They're a viscount. Yeah. They're in the they're in the aristocracy and they're very well liked and very well respected. They're yeah, also they're quite incredibly wealthy. popular and wealthy. Now Amy is going to have a go at Ooh. a spoiler free <laughs> brief summary of the Bridgertons? No, of the Duke and okay. I. We are not <gasps> summarizing the Bridgertons. Eight books in one go. Okay. The Duke and I follows Daphne Bridgerton, who is the eldest daughter. There are four daughters in the Bridgerton family and four sons. Daphne is Getting along in the sense that she's been out in society doing the party rounds in what they call the marriage market for about four years. She's in her early 20s, which is starting to get on a little bit. But it's not because she's not attractive or lovely. It's just because she's really, really, really nice and reminds everyone of their sister. Well, and also the problem is three elder brothers who are very close in age. All of the men who are the appropriate age to be interested in Daphne see her as one of the gang. She's one of the guys. Or they see her as Anthony's little sister. So it's very hard to move on from being Anthony's little sister to someone I would like to marry and create babies with. Mm. And I think we also need to note that the brothers are quite protective. Yes, they are quite protective. Though I don't think they would scare off a legitimate suitor. Enter the hero, Simon Bassett, the Duke. Simon is the best friend of Daphne's eldest brother, Anthony, who is the Viscount. I can't, we never really know how to say these things. Viscount? How do you read it in your head? Viscount. Viscount. I don't say Viscount. Okay, well, you never know. It's like, I don't feel like it's integral to the narrative. All right. This is the point where I find it really challenging to stay spoiler-free and on track, so I'm going to throw to Kimberly to introduce the hero, Simon. Oh, my goodness. So we actually start the book from Simon's perspective, not from Daphne's. So in Chapter 1, we meet Simon as a young man, and his dad's a jerk hole. Mm. And Simon has a stutter growing mm. up as a young boy, as many children do, and his father interpreted it as his son was an imbecile, like he was mentally deficient. And basically was like, that's it, I'm done with you. And the heir to a dukedom cannot be an imbecile. Absolutely. I he's have the, no son. He's the heir to the Duke of Hastings, and he was just a horrible man. So pretty much Simon worked super duper hard to try and get rid of his stutter, and then when he went to see his father, his father kind of brings it out in him as well, that, that sense of stress. He did really well, but not good enough. And never good enough. Never good enough. And pretty much Simon was at that very young age decided he was out on his dad and he would live his life to disappoint his father as much as he possibly could. And as a result, he left 
England and actually had been travelling for quite a long time. So this is Wild Oats was on the continent. Important, dear listener, because he had not been around while Daphne was on the marriage mark. So he hadn't been introduced to her in the context of, hi, so I'm an old chap, this is my sister Daphne, which is how she'd been introduced to everybody else. So Daphne and Simon get to meet kind of outside of her family and outside of her brothers and outside of her identity as the sister of the Bridgerton brothers. And in that context, they have a cute little meet-cute and he kind of saves her from an awkward situation at a ball. And they become friends. He sees something that he likes in her. She's a fun kind of person. Mm. And they come to an agreement of sorts where it's decided that if Daphne pretended, if they both pretended that Simon was courting her, properly pursuing her for marriage, then two things would happen. One, the incredibly eligible Duke of Hastings, Simon, would be given a little bit of a reprieve from all of the mothers of single girls who want to marry <laughs> them off to the Duke of Hastings because it would be known around the town, around the society, that He's he was limits. keen on. Well, that he was just, he was keen. He was busy. He was keen with Daphne. He's elsewhere. And similarly, Simon convinces Daphne that if other men see someone as eligible as him treating her as a genuine prospect for marriage, they might follow suit and she might get an offer and interest from other people. That's kind of it. Like, I feel like anything else, anything beyond that is spoilers. So the story is really then about them navigating this kind of fake relationship. And they it's built on friendship. They like each other. They're both pretty funny. And that's what I like about the book. They're funny. Moving on, that's your spoiler-free summary of The Duke and I. Yep. Amy, you get to go first. Oh, thank you, Kimberly. You're welcome. Would you recommend... Now, I'm going to caveat you, which is going to happen a lot... <sighs> Would you recommend The Duke and I? Like, not like the not entire Bridgerton series, uh, which has eight books. Would you recommend this book? I think it can be read in isolation. Let me just put that out there. But yes, would you recommend this I'd novel? absolutely recommend The Duke and I. I've read it multiple times. It's a really, it's funny as a book, but it also has the capacity to to move you because of the two characters, Daphne and Simon are so well shaped and so well developed and like Simon and his backstory and his motivations are all really, really believable. You buy it. And Daphne is someone who you probably hang around, hang out with as a normal person in your friendship circle. So she's someone who's really relatable, um, very, very relatable, mm. really um, easy to understand. And when the two characters do come and have their barrier. Yeah. When that sort of comes to a climax, you as a reader aren't going, oh, for God's sake. Oh, I hate those books where you just go, you know what? If you actually Talk just spoke to each, other. to each other for 10 minutes, this wouldn't be happening. Those would be a novel. Oh, but I hate novels <laughs> that are based on just actually have a conversation. Communication. Yeah. That's not a problem in here. And no. that's what makes the book appealing is the obstacle They've both been very sense. clear. They're very clear. They've been quite clear from the outset as well. Yeah. So I really, really love that. But it's not just the two characters. There's this big supporting cast of all these other characters, all the seven other Bridgerton siblings who are all alphabetically named. We forgot to mention for that. For ease of following. I um, do hate that, that she has named them all. Like <laughs> So it's Anthony as the eldest, then Benedict, Benedict then, then Colin, Colin, then Daphne, then Daphne. Eloise. Gregory, uh, Hyacinth, and Francesca in the middle. In the middle, because you forgot your alphabet. But at any rate, there's this really, and all of these characters She writes exist. family well. She writes family, and it's so warm. And that's mm. one of the big things about the Bridgerton family, is that this warm, loving, they're not a dysfunctional family. And sometimes I think that's actually, like, you think of Simon's narrative. It's refreshing. It's refreshing mm. to encounter in a book. And some of the characters are just delightful. Even beyond the Bridgerton family, there's these wonderful other voices within the story. Kimberly, 
your thoughts recommendation yes no maybe why hmm? i would definitely recommend this book have read it many times for similar reasons that you have already covered i actually really like how modern the characters are yes so even though it's set in this kind of older time and they have these mm. weird restrictions of propriety and the rules gotta take a maid with you if you're a lady going for a walk exactly and oh i my reputation will be ruined because i was out at six in the morning I really like that even though it's that kind of older setting, which adds to complications mm. and is a really nice co like complicating device in the narrative, the characters are very modern and their sensibilities mm. are actually quite modern. The whole Bridgerton family is quite forward-thinking and very modern in the way that they treat each other and in, even in their dialogue, to be honest, the way they're written is very oh, easy yeah. to follow, and which is also probably why Netflix was like, yoink. And I particularly like, one of the things I really adore is Lady Whistledown who appears in the first four Bridgerton novels. And she is a society gossip columnist who has excellent information and everyone is desperate to also to be mentioned in Lady Whistledown, but also to know who, to know who she Lady is and all of this kind of thing. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And it's very gossip colony. It's very... It's witty. And it also feels really modern. Like it feels very... You want to be in the know and you want to be in the in crowd. And it's just, yeah, it just is a... A world that is not hard to imagine in your head and not hard to be drawn into. And the humor is modern. The humor well. is modern. The humor is really modern. Contemporary yeah. and actually funny. Yeah. <laughs> and this book particularly makes me laugh out loud and then get really upset and a bit teary at the end. Oh, I cry in that there. opening section. Like Simon's oh, backstory, Simon's I always backstory. have a cry. And now there's all these points where I'm just like, in all honesty, if she spends too much with Simon, I have a cry. <laughs> and then I'm like, thank God, oh, it's so Bridget and dudes Simon. turning up. <laughs> Honourable mentions. Like we said, this is an eight book series. Yes. We would recommend that you do actually sort of read them in some form of order well i would just read them in order some of them are better than others the duke and i is excellent i'm glad they start with daphne after that we go to anthony mm -hmm, the viscount who loved me yep and he, it is also really good i have trouble with anthony's <laughs> reason why oh, like, anthony's obstacle is a little bit far-fetched so much so that julia quinn does put a note at the end of the book that's it's like i researched it i researched it and his obstacle it's is an actual shit. real thing and i'm like all right julia but i i like my favorite part about the Viscount Who Loves Me is I love the heroine. She's in wonderful. That. Yeah. She's, yeah, she's wonderful. sassy. She's, yep. she's the most contemporary of them all. Absolutely. I reckon. And she has a nice little, not really biological family unit, but she has this family unit. It's really funny and entertaining. And then the third book is about Benedict, who's the second Bridgerton. Yes, I find Benedict a bit beige. Um, an offer from a gentleman. Yeah, and the reason, like we've discussed this, the, the problem that we have with An Offer from a Gentleman is that it's the only book of the eight that she's written as a fairy tale. It's essentially a Cinderella story. Yeah, it's Love at First Sight, isn't it? Yeah, it's the only one that's Love at First Sight. Although Gregory, I can't remember what happens with Gregory. I've only read it once. Yeah, that's the last book. So it goes from being quite a very believable, really contemporary mm. sort of world to suddenly we're transported to this fairy tale masquerade, Love at First Sight, Cinderella loses her slipper. Yeah, but also Benedict as a character all the way up to that point is an artist and is and it's kind of if he was gonna have a love story, his would be this fairy tale. Yeah, it's appropriate, Which, but he's yeah. not as developed as well, I think, as no. Anthony gets two solid books to develop himself, and the se the one that's developed more is Eloise, the next sister, and Colin, yeah. the third oldest brother. Not Benedict all the is just quiet, and in a big raucous family like that's the Bridgertons, yeah. you have those people who just aren't as raucous, and when that's the case, they kind of have these narratives that kind of just happen quietly. So Benedict is fine. After that, we it's go. It's still a good book. Oh yeah, it's still yeah. a good book. Like the Duke and I is 
you know, bloody Kilimanjaro or Everest. And then Benedict's is like, it's still a pretty impressive mountain. Of yeah, novel. absolutely. And it's still well-written and it's fun. Yeah. I just don't, it doesn't draw me in wanting me to read it again and again the way the others do. After Benedict, we go to Colin, which is Amy's all-time favourite. I've been very controlled. I know. And so we're even going to do this. Are you ready? It's Amy's favourite book. She loves them. If you do nothing but read the first four books so that you can have the joy of reading Colin's book. Romancing Mr. Bridgerton. Do that. That's all we're going to say. Moving on. After that, we go. <laughs> no, because it will take you too long. Colin's the best. Amy loves Colin. We might, you, I might let you do a whole episode on Colin. Okay, stay tuned, listeners. After that, we do... <laughs> I'll speak um, for most of the podcast. <laughs> you can. That one will be all oh. yours. After that, you go to Eloise. I actually really like Eloise. I like book. Eloise. It happens, but yeah. the thing is, and this is why we talk about the first four, and we generally sort of, when we think about the Bridgertons in our heads, there's like books one, two, three, four, and then there's four, five, six, seven, eight, because Lady Whistledown is in the first four. But Lady Whistledown is not a voice in the last four books. But also the first four are very much set one on top of the other. In London. In, Lon- in London yep. during seasons that are very close together. And Eloise's book begins before Collins has finished. The next two books, which is Eloise and then Francesca, yeah, actually so don't occur in London. So Philip with Love is Eloise and When, when he, he Was, was wicked, wicked is Francesca. And so I love both of those books. I think they oh. stand alone even better than the others. They're they really good heart-wrenching, excellent, beautiful books. Yeah. And then you get oh. to Hyacinth and Gregory. There's some great Colin moments in Eloise and Francesca's books, by the way. Hyacinth and Gregory were just little babies at the start of the eight books. And by this point, they're in their kind of early 20s. And I have the same problem with every... Because this is quite a popular format. Mm-hmm. And I haven't done the research to be able to tell you if Julia Quinn started it. But this idea of I have a family of characters and I will marry them off over four or five oh, books. Oh, yeah, it gives you lots of... So much to so do. So many books. Julia Quinn does it a lot. She then even goes on to do it with the Rokesbury's, which is another series we can talk about in the future. I always have the same problem when you get to the last siblings. Because you've known them as this kid. So yes. Gregory Bridgerton, we know, is this like dweeby 12-year-old. He's pulling people's hair and, and chasing Hyacinth. And then in when he grows up a little bit, he's still like tempestuously 22. Well, the problem also is... In the, in the context that the books are set, Gregory grows up and then goes off to Eton and stuff. Like, he goes off to be educated. So, so he's not really him. around. Mm. And because... And the other problem is because both uh, Eloise and Francesca's books are set... And Francesca's book is set over quite a period of time. Like four years yes. or something, yeah. And so because those two books are set over a period of time and not in London, so they're not at home, they're not with the family Absent unit... Gregory. You don't, they're just totally gone. So you mm. just kind of, the last you hear about Gregory and Hyacinth, they're obnoxious little children. And then all of a sudden they're adults getting married. And I don't know if it's someone go back and read them for us and start with Hyacinth and Gregory and tell us if this totally changes your perspective. But I think they're even written in a way that makes them seem like their storylines seem more naive and still a little bit green and a little bit childish. The language and writing style is more complex in the earlier books. Yes, absolutely. The font gets bigger as you go on. That's so weird. In the books. It's like quite small, the same amount of pages in The Duke and I, and then it's bigger. Hyacinth is also a mystery where she's looking for some diamonds and Gregory's is a, will he get to the church in time to stop this chick marrying some other dude who's the wrong person? They're all right. I've never reread them. No. So I think that if we were to sit there and categorise the Bridgerton series as a whole, I'd put it in the treasure box, but I'd put some of the books in treasure and some of the books more in my... See, I would Trashy have five category. of them. I would have five of them in treasure and three of them in trash. Okay, what are your treasures? Duke and I. 
Duke and I, Viscount who loved me, Romancing, Romancing Mr. Bridgerton, Mr. Bridgerton, Collins, to Sir Philip with love, Eloise, when he was wicked, Francesca. Mm. Okay, and then you would have Benedict's book, Offer from a Gentleman, Offer from a Gentleman, Hi- it's in his kiss, it's Hi- in his kiss, on the way to the wedding. He's great, great. I'm and in charge be, of titles. And they would be my trash. Mine would probably be... See, Francesca's book I put in treasure, but I can't read it again. It's tragic in the extreme. But, you know, obviously everything ends well, but it's just so, like... Without oh. it being without it being a spoiler, Francesca is married at the outset of her book. She has met and fallen in love with a really wonderful, sweet, delightful man. In the background, we don't even know what happens. No one even really references it when we first kind of hear about Francesca because the man she married lives in Scotland. So she's often in Scotland in the first books as well. So really, when we engage with her, it's in when he was wicked and she's already married and her husband dies in the first two chapters. Yeah. And oh, it is... she takes out your heart. She squeezes it. <laughs> and any, and <laughs> depending on what mood I'm in, sometimes I can read Francesca all the way to the end, and sometimes it took me I ages. I had a migraine after reading that book because I cried so much, and I had to read it in one sitting because I was like, oh, for God's sake, it has to turn out. It has yes, to work for yeah. them. Oh, and of course it does. But oh, Julia. <laughs> anyway, that's the Bridgerton. Somebody said it's what eight. Point five slash nine books for the price of one podcast. Woohoo! <laughs> we're, we're so good at this recommendations thing. <laughs> anyway, that's all we have for today. And each episode, we will bring you a new recommendation from a new author, a new type of romance novel. Thank you so much for listening and spending this time with us. I only wish I could have told you a lot more about Colin Bridgerton. I already think this is going to be a weirdly long episode. The other hey, subsequent books. subsequent episodes. Episodes will be much shorter. That's the goal. Please come and find us again and bye. Bye. And just a quick reminder here at the end of the podcast that we would love to hear from you. We want your recommendations. The good, the bad, the interesting, doesn't matter. Please reach out. Send us an email at trashortreasurepodcast at outlook.com. Or we are also available at the world's most awkward Twitter handle, which Amy has to tell you about. Listen to our Twitter handle. It's the greatest. It's at or underscore treasure. Doesn't that just roll off the tongue? (laughs) And with those encouraging words, tweet or email us. We love to hear from you. Happy reading. Cheers.